Hello and welcome back family. I pray and know that you've all been well. This is your girl, Jessica Zarita Wilson, meeting with you again for another episode of Kingdom Goals Season 1. <sighs> However, <laughs> today's episode has received what I am referring to as a Holy Ghost rewrite. So, initially, as you may be aware, today's episode was to be entitled Protection but has been obediently changed to correction. And how fitting for a rewrite, am I right? <laughs> so it will be unlike any other episode that I have recorded thus far. And please know that this was not an episode that I planned on doing here, doing now, or even doing through this mode of communication and connection. But in knowing and being fully obedient to the move of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit, I will lay it all bare as instructed. My greatest prayer is that even if it is only one person, that you will be immensely blessed and moved to redemption in Christ through my personal story. But I also pray that it reaches millions for the glory and in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, for those who have been tuning into Kingdom Goals so far, you know that usually before we dive into the topic of discussion, I like to give you several major headlines from the past week's news cycle. However, as I stated before, today's episode will not follow a business as usual approach or be like anything I've ever uttered or discussed publicly. So before we continue, I'm going to need to pray. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today, thankfully, and with a posture of great praise. Lord, I know that you love me and promised me that you have nothing but plans to prosper me and give me hope and a future. And though none of this was what I, in my own will, intended for right now, I know that it will be all for your greatest glory. And so I submit to you, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Let your word go forth and accomplish all you sent it to do. And I pray this all in the awesome and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, now let's get to it. So where do I start? Oh boy. <laughs> okay, I know. Let me just start from the beginning. I believe I realized early on as a kid that I was kind of quirky. I never truly had many friends, never truly genuinely fit all the way in with any groups, cliques, or squads in school or otherwise. I loved reading, singing, and learning new things all the time. I hated homework, chores, and my mom's constant opinion growing up, especially during my teen years, as I'm sure some of you may agree <laughs> or have experienced the same as you grew up too. <laughs> I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, the daughter of two Panamanian nationals, first-generation American born and bred, a real girl's girl, but never managed to have more than three or four girls as true friends at any time during my most formidable years. I was the girl most people talked about for one reason or another, and they weren't saying nice things about me, <laughs> believe me. You know, yeah, that was me. I was that girl. Now, and this is where this gets hard. So, Holy Ghost, please lead me. Have your way, Father God. Let it be all for your glory. I grew up in a single parent home. 
My mom and dad split up very early on in my life. And by that time, my dad had already had two daughters. My sisters and I are actually five years apart, each of us. And these two daughters were birthed by two other women. So my mom was actually the last in the triad. I remember talking to, seeing, and even spending time with my dad growing up, albeit infrequent as each was, but sadly what I remember most were the earliest feelings of rejection and isolation. Feelings I knew nothing of how to articulate when I thought of my dad. Though I couldn't pinpoint it then, what I have only truly realized now in adulthood is that whatever it was or whoever initiated it and however ill-equipped I was at the time to deal with it, these valid but false facts would be the causes of many bad decisions. So, as a child, I always loved people. I loved people, and I still do to this day, Lord knows. I loved laughing, loving, and I enjoyed my family so much growing up as a child. And I just loved meeting new people. I always remember smiling. I loved to smile with people, whether it was on the train, on the bus, you know, in the supermarket as a kid. I just loved making friends as best as I could. And I was consistently found, actually, to be the friendliest amongst my peers. I learned these truths about myself very early on. But what I also learned early as a means of feeding my needs, I guess, of acceptance and love, was that I sure knew how to perform as well. I wanted so bad to please everyone, all day, every day. The people-pleasing complexes definition during my growing pains literally would have had my picture dead stamped next to it. I laughed a certain way, dressed a certain way, liked certain things because it was the thing to do at the time, and even followed certain things that I had no business following. I became driven, almost insanely motivated to be anything to everybody I could, but left nothing for myself. And this misguided ambition would ultimately come with a painful and dangerously magnified scope as I stepped into young womanhood. Okay, so as some may know, and maybe some don't, but in Panama, like most Latin countries, girls have what they call a quinceañera. So this is a celebration held to mark the culmination of a girl's childhood and commence I guess what is socially deemed as their womanhood. Now this celebration immediately coincides with the girl's 15th birthday. I guess, and please don't quote me on this, it may be because this is usually around the time where most girls, if they haven't already, begin menstruation. Now, though I never had a quinceañera, and my family never really saw this as necessary, my leap into womanhood began a bit earlier than 15. Oof, okay. Now, I remember the day vividly. <laughs> I was actually taking a shower and realized that there was a stain on my underwear. In the most terrified voice I could muster, I screamed for my mom. As she stepped into the bathroom and saw me with undies in hand, she began to explain. Now, let's pause here. I know it would add to the effect here if I remembered her exact words, but the truth is I don't. 
as <laughs> she was a nurse for over 20 plus years i will imagine for us that it went something close to this now this is me imagining my mom's words okay well jessica my princess this is a sign of you having become a young woman now this what you see here in your panties is blood and it means that you have begun your menstrual cycle okay there we go wow <laughs> one of the most terrifyingly impactful and bewildering days of my life for sure and all at nine years old nonetheless yes you heard me right i got my first period at nine years old now for those who may be listening who don't have kids and even some of y'all that do because i know my math is bad sometimes too but at nine years old that means i would have been only in the fourth grade and though my body began its metamorphosis soon after my mind attitudes and overall behavior took a bit of time to catch up but as biggie said god bless his soul more body more problems oh wait no Sorry, that was actually me. I literally just made that up, I promise. <laughs> but boy, did the problems begin. And I mean that verbatim. The boy problem sure did hit hard from here. I honestly can't pinpoint when or how, but as my body started to change people and hormones began to rage, I just sought, literally looked for at any cost, an outlet. Maybe it was a mix of hormonal overload, the devil really trying to completely demolish my future and take me out, and maybe a compound of the daddy issues that I never knew I had until many years later. Or maybe just the need that I constantly felt in wanting to be loved, but truly not knowing whose I was and my worth to him, to Jesus. But I fell, y'all, and I did it way hard. Nobody has ever heard me say this all the way out loud, and I mean no one. Even my husband has only gotten glimpses and snippets, little bits and pieces of this, and my mom has never known about much of it, if any, other than the time I did get an STD and had to go to the GYN for treatment. And that was rough. Yeah, I remember that was real rough for my mom especially because she kept me on a really tight short leash but i learned then even the strongest leash can be broken i found all kinds of ways to escape hide lie and testify to everyone and everything but jesus i became the ultimate sneak and freak all in what now seems like a blur my early downward spiral began with just wanting some attention and male affection. A peck here, a rub there, a hey, how you doing, Johnson? It's great to see you over there. Whew, okay, but when pornography got involved, the show was just beginning. I was an 80s baby, so cable TV, computer, cell phones, they all had their start during my adolescent and teenage years. The coolest thing I remember getting in my house during the late 90s to early 2000s was a cable box. Back in Brooklyn, that was like extra points at school because that not only meant that you could talk about all the cable shows you watched just like all the other kids, but it also meant that your family was doing all right for themselves. It meant you had a little money and weren't too poor to afford that kind of luxury. 
But the Nickelodeon specials and cartoons, they soon gave way to full-on hardcore pornography. And this started when one of my classmates at the time had schooled us to how you could get free pay-per-view movies. You just had to put in a certain code for the cable box. And that started it all, people. From jump, my interest was peaked. I dashed home that day with these new instructions. And when my mom went to bed, I went to work. I still remember that first night. I fiend sleep so good. I mean, Holly had nothing on me that night. Not too long after my mom came in to check on me and then turned in for the night as well. Hard work in early morning shifts for an RN single mother with a rambunctious preteen proved to be an automatic sleeper hold. Just saying, that's the truth. But as my mother slept coldly and soundly, I commenced to open in a door that would take me years, people, years to submit for closure. I almost couldn't believe what I was seeing at the time. I gorged on the explicit images of bodies intertwined in more things than one and feasted on visions that the Lord himself was the only one fit to see. I became so connected to those images, so excited by what I had just digested, I was left literally weak. But the more I indulged was the stronger my cravings grew and the weaker the groanings of my spirit and conscience became. By this time, I knew that it wouldn't be too long before I actually wanted to engage in the act itself. And though it wouldn't be too long past my first introduction to pornography, the actual first experience in sex proved even more deleterious for me. I mean, if I didn't do it with the X-rated movies, then I had surely opened up Pandora's box with engaging in full-out intercourse. My first time truly evades me these days. I can't remember much of it, and I've dealt with the truth of that already. But what transpired after was anything but unforgettable for me. I substituted love, self-worth, purity, and esteem for quickies, flickies, sex and stairwells at school and in people's houses. If one guy couldn't or didn't understand that he needed me in his life, I made it my mission and business to show the next one who said something sweet or witty or showed even the slightest bit of interest in me that he needed me, that I was going to upgrade him. Yes, that, that was my mission, literally. And this went on for way too long. I vacillated between the whispers at school about my easiness, being fast, or my hoish tendencies, and I became a literal shell of who I knew myself to be. By the time high school ended, I had slept around more than most women will ever do in one lifetime. And I caught, by God's grace alone, I can imagine, an STD and truly learned nothing though at that time about how to stop this vicious out of control cycle. I began college as a new face, but pretty much with the same fate. But in order to make a longer story shorter, I'm just gonna give you the abridged version and it goes a little like this. Ultimately in beginning college, I ended up with another dude. And this time though, I became pregnant. 
Now, me and this man, or I should say guy, were together for a, a good time, I guess, in my mind. More than six months at that time. That seemed long. We slept over with each other, did things I still don't know how I managed and ended up doing. Um, but I did end up pregnant. So let's say, okay, we found out on month seven, right? Day two that I was pregnant. Well, then on day six, we had to tell our parents. On day eight, we went back to the OBGYN for the fetal heartbeat. The doctor found none. He did see the fetal pole on the ultrasound image along with an empty sac. Ultimately, it was concluded that I needed a DNC as I was diagnosed as having had a missed abortion. So day 12 is where it really gets real here. And please just stay with me here. Day 12 was when I found out said guy, right, had a whole girl that he was actually bringing up from a whole nother country, Guyana, just to be specific. Yes, the Guyana that's in South America. And that they were supposedly an item since grade school and his heart was completely set on her. And they were, just wait for it, my family. They were to be married. So, of course, day 12 to 75 commenced with tears, crying, tissues, repeat. And during this time, I also ended up losing my college scholarship because my grades went all the way down the toilet during the semester. Again, my mama was dismayed and now would ultimately have to pay for me to finish school. Oh, Jesus. I know you loved me because I'm surprised I'm still here after these two incidences with my mama. But thank you, Lord. I just praise you, Jesus. Thank you. But, and this is the biggest but, on day 77 or 78, something happened. Something happened. It was a church day. And all during this time, I had been going to church, listening to the messages, but never really being touched by them. Oh, but this day would be different. On this day, the Holy Spirit truly grabbed me and has not let me go since. On this day was when I made a public confession of Christ as my Savior and was officially reborn. Now, I know many people can remember the day, hour, and time of their salvation, but honestly, family, I ain't one of them. If I told you otherwise, I would be lying, which I don't want to do and I'm not doing. But what I do remember about this day is the fire. Oh my goodness, the absolute fire I felt on the inside that just radiated all over my body. Never had I ever felt so accepted, forgiven, or loved in my entire life. You see, for so much of my young adult life, the devil truly had me tripping. He was so eager to devour, destroy, and kill me. He had me convinced that the only way I could find true love was to give away my own. 
He deceived me into believing that the real love I needed could only be found in sex, whether it was sex with a boy, trying girls, becoming addicted to lesbian pornography, and ultimately his lies ran the gamut around my mind and soul, and for longer than I could almost stand. And family, the truth is that his MO has never and will never change. Satan absolutely hates you and I. And I'm not just talking about Christians, because he's trying hard to take everyone's Christianity by wrapping it up crazy in their virginity, in misogyny, in abuse, self-hate, suicide, alcoholism, drugs, sex, and tons of other evils that he alone is the father of. Now, I'm not saying that sex is evil. I'm saying that whatever is good and whatever God created for good, the devil is the counterfeit of it. He changes it. He flips the switch on it. He inverts it, defiles it, and then wants to perpetrate and propagate that in us. You see, the real is that Satan is a fraud. He is a poser. He's the yell at you that says he's your friend and he's got what you want. He's the dope dealer and hope stealer that nobody sees coming outside of the Holy Spirit. He's the thief that wants our souls to suffer the same fate that he will in eternity. He's trying to take as many people down as he can. But he likes to intimidate you with his bark. His bark his bark he loves bigging up himself more than what he is and he likes to tempt you with what you think are your true wants <laughs> yeah since his day one this has been his aim to take you out the literal game but you know who already won that right i'm here to tell you jesus did it family and ain't no way satan can compete against that my god says he has already conquered and overcome this world and everything in it including satan now family if you thought <laughs> this story was about me then i'm sorry to disappoint you i'm gonna stop you right there because it really wasn't this is a love story family a story rooted in the first one and only true love that I have ever known, and his name is Jesus. I'd like to tell you that all my tendencies, habits, insecurities, and hangups went away when our love affair began, but they didn't. You see, what I have learned on this walk with my Savior, this walk of faith, as it's often called, is that my strength, my abilities, whatever skills, gifts, willpower I have, and been blessed with they're all inadequate apart from him i couldn't think myself right i couldn't correct my own steps i couldn't look left or even know what steps to take if it wasn't for my prince of peace you see who jesus is is the savior of the world and what jesus does is saves if we let him, I mean, if we unashamedly look to him, give our lives to him, and are sure to walk with him on the daily, then family, we shall never ever be lost again. It's like the woman at the well in the Bible in Samaria. She had been sleeping with a random man and had five whole other husbands before she connected with her new bae. 
<laughs> well, Jesus told her that unlike the water from that very well where they stood, the living waters that he could fill anyone up with would ensure that they would never, ever thirst again. Jesus is the only well that will never run dry. Your money may be funny from day to day. Your family may even bop you and drop you and go through their changes. Your wife, your husband, your kids, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. Shoot, even your car may act up from time to time. But the one man that will never, ever leave you nor forsake you is Jesus. He is always at the ready. If you will allow him in, he stands knocking at the door of your heart and looks to have a genuine, intentional, and personal relationship with you. And if you profess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and died for your sins so that you could live for him, then open your mouth and confess it. And when you do, know that you have been born again in Christ Jesus, the one and only Savior who loved you enough to conquer sin and grave. And if we boast about anything, let us boast of him. And I know a few of you may be asking, why have you been trying to be so funny with such heavy stuff? But the truth is, family, that these are burdens I no longer carry. You see, from the first day when I gave my life to Christ, my sins were washed away. And his blood that was shed at Calvary makes the stains of my sin as white as snow. They no longer exist for me or matter to Jesus. I know it's crazy, right? But no, it's, it's really not. Once you really understand it, God already told us in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 in the ESV that though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And that though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And you know who does this cleansing, this purification? It's nothing but Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus that does it. When we accept him as our savior, he cleans and covers us in his blood. The pure saving grace of his blood. And so I no longer have to wear the scars of shame and the weight of my past sins. Jesus washed those away forever. But what Satan wants to do is to try to tell you to keep it to yourself. Don't speak about that. Don't confess that to God or anyone else for that matter. They'll judge you. They'll shame you. They'll just victimize you all over again. And when we listen to Satan's voice and keep it all in, we live with these burdens and become weighed down and completely isolated by them. But what Jesus does is say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. He already paid for our past sins, our present sins on the cross, and so that we wouldn't have to. Christ lived and died in bondage so that we can now live in freedom and for God's great glory. Now, I won't lie and say that my life has been absolutely perfect since my initial confession of my salvation, because it hasn't. I've traveled down some dark roads again several times, made tons of mistakes and bad decisions since, and had my share of too much Jesus, but not enough Jesus, if you know what I'm talking about. 
and was caught slipping and even believing that some of my most painful battles in my own marriage were punishment for all of it. But what has forever remained consistent in all I have been through is Jesus. He has never, and I know, will never fail me. What I also know is that my eternal gift of salvation will never qualify me to live a knowingly sinful life. And so I look to the woman at the well story again. And remember that after Jesus told her who she had been, he low-key led her to who she could be. It would be that after an angry, angry mob came to bring this woman's past indiscretions, current situation, and all the juice she was now dripping into bear, that the Messiah flipped it on them and asked them what they had growing in their own weed gardens. Of course, as is the case with most who judge and throw stones from ivory towers, they all scampered away in having deeply considered Jesus's question. And this is when he looks to her and asks the realest question. Has no one condemned you? To which she responds, no one, Lord. And if cool was a class, then Jesus would be its rabbi. In the most loving and smoothest way humanly possible, he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. <laughs> that's fire right there that's that fire i was talking about you see you see that right there that is what we know is grace grace that i understand is not merited but is given nonetheless it is as first john chapter 1 verse 9 and the esv tells me that once i confess and lay down my sins before christ he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Now, is this a pass to indiscriminately sin and then cower for God's forgiveness? No, again, absolutely not. What it is and does, however, is give us access. You see, Jesus gives us full access to glory, grace, and eternal life. And the principle here is that in truly walking with him and for him, it doesn't mean that we'll be perfect and sinless. No, not at all. But what it does mean is that as we continue to grow in our knowledge of him, continue to grow our faith and relationship with him, and continue to grow in the understanding of his love for us, then we will naturally want to sin less. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, now by no means is this the end of my personal walk of faith either. The fullest chapters of my life are just now being lived in every day that the Lord blesses me to see. With my truest and hardest journey in faith, having begun with my not so perfect road to life and in marriage to my husband, Jesse. But <laughs> let's leave that for another episode or an easy read of my book to give you a glimpse. It's up to you. In any event, it's been real family. And I pray, I truly pray that this time together has been richly edifying for you. So let's meet again right here on Kingdom Goals. Same time, same place, and by God's grace. 
But until then, this is Jessica Zarita Wilson saying good night and God bless. Peace.